We the ones they talking about. Broadway Sports Media. Choose your fighter. Justin and Justin Titans podcast show. I'm not a cocky person. I'm just passionate. Final round. Uh, yeah, I'm looking for a new podcast partner immediately. Quarantine and chill. We all we got. Hey, Titans on three. One, two, three. Welcome in. This is the Music City Audible podcast presented by Broadway Sports Media. I'm Justin Graver. Joining me as always is Justin Mello. How's it going? We have a jam-packed show tonight, Graver. I'm, I'm doing well. I'm excited for our listeners to, to hear this one. This was this is a heck of an episode. That's right. We got the former head coach of the Titans took over as the interim in 2015 and was the head coach of the 2016 and 2017 team that won a playoff game. First playoff win in a while, that was. That was a huge win in Kansas City. Mike Mularkey joined us. We'll get to that to talk about the matchup with the Jags. But before we get there, we have uh, John Shipley coming on. Also to give us some insight, John Shipley of Jaguar Report, Sports Illustrated's website, si.com slash NFL slash Jaguars. You can go check that out. We're going to get into all the Jacksonville preview stuff with him, with Mike Malarkey, with Malarkey's co-host of his own podcast, Bill Peterson. All those interviews coming right up. But before we get there, let's cover some news and notes, starting with the news that just came out. Nissan Stadium will be allowing fans 10% capacity. You actually wrote an article about this, so I'll let you... Go ahead and give us all the details. I did, yeah. Uh, you know, news came out this morning from Nashville, which was great. Uh, they're going to be able to host fans uh, for, well, the remainder of the season after this game at home. But starting in October, with they got three home games uh, in the month of October. So starting with Pittsburgh, uh, they'll have, I believe, it's 10% of capacity there with Pittsburgh. And then it, it'll increase uh, by a very tiny amount for the following week with the with the Bills and again for the Texans. So uh, great news for, for Titans fans in Nashville who are obviously uh, been clamoring to get back to the games. Um, you know, and we'll see from there. The plan is to hopefully uh, continue, um, you know, going in that direction where they increase the capacity allowed in the months of November and December. But I guess we'll see first how October goes. Yeah, that makes sense. And that's great news for Titans fans. Great news for the team to have some of that energy back in the stadium as long as they can do it safely, which seems like they will be able to. Let's cover some more news. Adam Schefter tweeted on Thursday that A.J. Brown is dealing with a bone bruise in his knee course if you follow the injury reports aj brown was limited in practice on wednesday did not practice on thursday we'll stay tuned to see what happens on friday but all signs are pointing towards aj brown not being available this weekend how much do you think that hurts this titans offense yeah i I think you're right i think it's most likely that he's not going to be available and obviously it's a big blow you know aj brown is the number one receiver on this team uh for a good reason he's the most talented receiver on this team And, uh, you know, I I don't think he obviously – he didn't have the greatest of games Monday. Perhaps he was already dealing with an issue. I I thought he looked a little out of sync um, as opposed to last season. So, obviously, it hurts this offense. There's no doubt about that. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. With that said, um, I know disrespect to Jacksonville, but I think there's a good chance Titans can win this game without A.J. Brown and certainly need to think about his long-term health and think of the long-term outlook as opposed to rushing him back uh, for a game like this. Let's be honest. I think they're really probably going to try to ride Derrick Henry in this one uh, as they have in, in many of the previous meetings with Jacksonville. So, uh, so I think it's definitely safe to, to have him sit out here. And then, you know, let's talk about Corey Davis a little. Corey Davis was fantastic on Monday night. He'll step into the number one receiver role, and, and we'll see what he can do with that. Yeah, and we'll see how much they have C.J. Henderson, talented rookie cornerback. We'll talk about with John Shipley in a bit. Matched up with Davis. Um, 
Jaguars like to mix and match their coverages, go zone and man uh, quite a bit. They often run that single high man on early downs, try and take away the run game, get more guys in the box. So could open up big opportunities for play action if they come out like that against the Titans. I think if you just look at A.J. Brown in practice, not going from a limited to a non-participant is the same pattern that Adoree Jackson followed last week. And then, you know, right before game day, we or right on game day, I guess we heard that Adoree was headed to IR. Hopefully that doesn't, we don't have any kind of situation like that with A.J. Brown. Adam Schefter called him week to week. But another player who did impress early last week against the Broncos was Jadeveon Clowney making his Titans debut and honestly, it was kind of surreal to see him out there in a Titans jersey, popped off the screen from the very beginning of the game, got in the backfield a couple of times, had a really savage tackle for loss on one run handoff, but the Broncos tried to pull off and didn't get by Clowney coming, looping through the A-gap and crashing through the running back from behind. Just a physical specimen. I do think that he kind of faded down the stretch, and he even himself admitted that he's not quite back in football shape yet. Mike Vrabel talked a lot about conditioning in his post-game press conference. So, you know, that altitude in Denver week one is such a real thing and such a drain on energy and stamina that I honestly think we could see a whole new Titans team come out week two. Talk about conditioning. It's almost like, you know, you make practice as hard as possible so that when you get to the real thing, it's easier. Well, opening the year in Denver is about the hardest place to play. Every single game for the rest of the year, conditioning-wise the Titans is going to feel a little bit easier. So I think Clowney this week going up against, if he's on the right side of the offense at all, the right tackle is not, Jawan James did not look good in week one. They, Jacksonville drafted him high last year out of Florida. He tore his ACL and missed the whole season. And coming back, you know, that first year back from ACL is always tough. And it's basically, he's basically a rookie out there. And, you know, the Colts pass rushers were able to get by him. I think Clowney's going to eat this weekend. What do you think? Yeah, I think you bring up a couple of a couple of good points with Clowney. I, I would largely agree with your assessment, saying that I thought all things considered, he looked great. You know, considering he joined the team as late as he did, um, I, I thought he looked really good. But I, I would agree, and it was interesting to hear uh, you know Vrabel talk about it after the game, and then uh, outside linebacker coach Shane Bowen uh, talked about it a little today during his Thursday press conference that he thought Clowney looked a little gassed um, near the end of the game, and I would agree with that assessment. It was something that I noticed while watching the game live. Um, you, you bring up some good points about the altitude in Denver week one being the toughest place to play uh, and, and that the conditioning should look better. Uh, well, I do ultimately agree with you. I think on the flip side of that, if, if I'm going to play devil's advocate, uh, I do think it's worth noting. And, and, and coach Mike Malarkey touched on this when we get into that interview. You do. I wonder if you worry a little about how late they got home from that trip. Uh, and being that it's a short week, you know, you lose a day, the coaches lose a day, the players lost a day, you lose a, a padded practice as well. So uh, that to me is one factor that maybe I, I kind of have to see it to believe it. Yeah. And it's nice that the it's at least a division opponent. So they didn't, maybe didn't need as much time prep wise in terms of game planning and stuff for the coaches. But yeah, losing that practice day. And we saw a lot of players for the Titans either sit out or be limited on Wednesday that I think was simply because of, you know, trying to give them a little maintenance day after a late Monday night. Will Compton tweeted they didn't get home till 6 a.m. on Tuesday morning, which just sounds like a complete total nightmare. But I do think um, Derek Roberson and Vic Beasley, Derek Roberson, full participant uh, in Thursday's practice, Wednesday and Thursday's practice, Vic Beasley upgraded to a full participant in Thursday's practice. Love to see these two guys get back out on the field. It seems like both guys should be available against Jacksonville. 
bump that outside linebacker number from three to five, and that should severely help what we were talking about with the conditioning elements. Clowney played 80% of snaps in his first game, which, you know, he averaged like 60% of the snaps with uh, with Seattle last year. So 80% is a lot for him, especially for a guy who's in, who self-professed, not in football shape. So definitely getting those other two outside linebackers back healthy. I'm kind of excited to see what Vic Beasley can do. My expectations are super low, but he's athletic as hell. So who knows? Yeah, it'd be hard for him to disappoint us at this time, at this point uh, in time. Uh, I think one player you didn't mention there, I'm excited to to see make his debut is Darrington Evans, right? Rookie running back who was also a full participant in practice uh, on Thursday. So all signs pointing to Evans making his NFL debut uh, on Sunday. And I'm very excited to see what kind of wrinkle he could add to this offense. Yeah, and that's a that's a good point. It's kind of the same thing, the workload of the outside linebackers. Derrick Henry had 31 carries. And it wasn't, you know, uh, it wasn't a dominant performance from Henry. I didn't think he looked as bad as some people thought. I didn't even think he looked that tentative. A lot of people said he looked tentative hitting the holes. And maybe there was a little bit of that, but there was also a ton of penetration. That Broncos defensive line, even without Von Miller, is pretty talented. But I don't think 31 carries for Henry is a sustainable model. If he averages 31 carries this season, he's going to approach 500. It's like 492 or something if you multiply that out. So... That's not a sustainable way to play football. Granted, Henry's a beast who works really hard and is in great shape. You know, I'm excited to see also what Evans can offer. All right, I'll turn it to you for any last thoughts before we get to our interview guests and really dive into the details of this game. No, I think uh, I think the Titans have a great opportunity, you know, to go 2-0 um, after this Sunday, and that's even, you know, without A.J. Brown in the lineup. Look, the Titans haven't been 2-0 since 2008. That's a statistic that I I, I didn't realize in, until I, I read it the other day. So great opportunity to go 2-0. They got to take care of business at home, take care of business against a division rival, and move to 1-0 in the division and really set themselves up uh, for the rest of the season. Josh Allen said he was excited to play against Derrick Henry today. Direct quote, I am excited to play against Derrick Henry. Big I don't mistake. know if anyone, yeah. I've, Likely a big well, mistake, Mr. Allen. The only other, the only, last time some defender the upcoming opponent got up on the podium during the week and talked crap about Derrick Henry he got turned into a lead blocker so I, I don't know if that's, what Josh Allen's strategy true. here is um, alright let's get to our guests now we're going to start off with John Shipley of Jaguar Report from Sports Illustrated check out si.com slash NFL slash Jaguars check out John on Twitter that's at underscore John underscore Shipley John how are you doing tonight I'm I'm doing great, guys. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Uh, I, I've I've been looking forward to come on this show since you guys uh, asked me. Really, so thank you guys again for having me on. Awesome, we're excited to do it. Talk some football here. Get into the Jaguars and kind of get that behind enemy lines uh, perspective that you can bring for us. So, going to start off here talking about Gardner Minshew, who had a phenomenal game statistically, looking at his 19 of 20 completion percentage, 95 percent last week, but I watched this game. I thought he played pretty smart, pretty safe overall. He did a great job of managing the game. He wasn't super aggressive, but he didn't really need to be. What did you think of Minshew's performance, and what are your thoughts on his outlook this season? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I really agree with your assessment. Uh, you know, the the one time the Jaguars pushed the ball downfield, it was a called pass interference on the Colts. And uh, offensive coordinator Jake Gruden, the reason... The reason I love Jay Gruden press conferences uh, more so than most other 
NFL coaches, he's brutally honest when it comes to quarterbacks. You know, you can look up some of his comments about Jay Gruden, uh, about uh, Kirk Cousins from Washington, and just <laughs> like, no, he doesn't hold back when he talks about his quarterback. So, I mean, he was honest when he evaluated Minshew when he talked yesterday, and he said, hey, he only threw one incompletion, and that was a drop pass. But he also, you know, he took a couple bad sacks, like that one field goal range. He scrambled on a few times they were trying to push the ball downfield. So I think those are still areas Minshew still has to work on. But I think in terms of it being his first game in a brand new system with no preseason, I don't think they really could have asked more from him uh, against the Colts. And really, I think a big reason that you didn't see really that aggression was they didn't really need him to be. You know, I mean, the Colts were giving them everything underneath. Uh, you bring up Jay Gruden there, John. I'm curious to get your thoughts so far on what you feel uh, has been the biggest difference between Gruden uh, and last year's offensive coordinator, who I believe was uh, John DeFalipo. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it was, I mean, you can just tell this offense, uh, its offensive scheme, at least through one game, is much more about featuring uh, its playmakers and distributing the ball. It felt like last year's scheme, even though like, Nick Foles sparringly played for the Jaguars, it was really obvious that uh, this entire playbook is designed for Nick Foles and for Nick Foles only. And that's a mistake for a whole different uh, day. But you can just tell that Jay Gruden, uh, you know, he's able to focus his offense on getting the ball around to all kind of different players and leaving the defense kind of guessing. You know, I would say with Dave, with Dave Fla- I'm always in bad saying his name with Coach Flip. That, uh, <laughs> the Jaguars really lacked an identity on offense. They didn't do anything consistently well. And I'd say on the Gruden, they're at least starting to try to pick up an identity. Moving over to the other side of the ball there, lots of youth on the defensive side. Obviously, the Jaguars um, unloaded a lot of talent, a lot of veteran talent over this past offseason. Now, most, pe- most fans know about Josh Allen coming off the edge. I'm curious what you think about the other young talent on defense, maybe aside from C.J. Henderson, who we'll get to in a second. Any other players uh, to watch out for that, that popped off tape on in week one? Yeah, for sure. Uh, rookie nose tackle Devon Hamilton, he was the third-round pick. Uh, he, he didn't start, but he kind of rotated in. He played a decent amount of snaps. Uh, he kind of had a bumpy start to the game last week, and defense coordinator Todd Walsh even noted him and, Chase on both kind of had rough starts since there was no preseason and they were getting their feet wet. But once he settled in, he looked like a difference maker inside. He was anchoring well against Ryan Kelly and Quentin Nelson. He was shedding blocks, making run stops. So he's a really interesting guy to watch. And then they still have a couple guys uh, in the secondary who are young and who have played some, but are still kind of under the radar guys. Uh, Trey Herndon at cornerback and Andrew Wingard at uh, free safety are two decent examples. And then I, I do want to get your thoughts on C.J. Henderson and how you thought he looked in his debut. For, from what I saw, I watched uh, most of the game. Looked like he had an excellent debut. And what are your expectations for him, not only in this game, but for the rest of the season? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I'll be the first one to go on record and say uh, I was surprised to see just how well Henderson played in his NFL debut. Uh, just when evaluating him as a draft prospect, I didn't think that his uh, talent really matched the value of number nine overall. But when you see what he put on the field on Sunday, it's kind of easy to see why the Jaguars fell for him so highly. I mean, just it's obvious when you see him on the field how big he is. But when you see him in coverage against speedy receivers like T.Y. Hilton and Paris Campbell, you really get a feel for how fluid and instinctive and quick he is. 
it really seems like he's a guy who can do anything you ask uh, from a cornerback, whether it's man coverage or zone coverage. And the Jaguars actually expanded their uh, coverage scheme a little bit more, at least in week one, than they have previously under Todd Walsh. You know, they actually let Henderson play plenty of man coverage, which was a big complaint of Jalen Ramsey while he was here, uh, one of uh, many. <laughs> and so, I mean, Henderson had a solid debut. Uh, you know, it's really hard to ask for a better debut from him considering he was going against, you know, one of the NFL's most solid and underrated receivers in T.Y. Hilton, and he was able to come up with an interception and a game-clinching uh, pass breakup. And yeah, John, and I just want to take it back to the offensive side of the ball for a second and ask you about another rookie, uh, of course, that being receiver, uh, LaVisca Chenault, uh, who I thought also had a good debut. Yeah, no, absolutely. LaVisca did. Uh, LaVisca, he, he, he did have one drop across the middle that ended up being Minshew's only in completion. But outside of that, I thought Chenault was one of the more impactful players just because even when he wasn't getting the ball, uh, I, I recommend for anybody who's kind of just – a football scheme junkie like me to go and watch uh, Jacksonville's passing touchdowns from week one that didn't go to Chenault. He went in motion on each of them and kind of diverted attention away from the other receivers on the offense and, you know, drew in the eyes of the defenders. And he was really – the motion that he went in, he didn't even get the ball in either play, but it was a big reason that DJ Chark and Keelan Cole were – basically wide open for touchdowns. So I thought LaVisca had a solid week one. I, I thought, you know, he ran decent routes. He looked strong with the ball in his hands. And as long as he can, uh, you know, clean up the, his concentration drops, I think the sky's the limit for him because they're just now, you know, scratching the surface with how they can really use him to his full potential. And, I mean, they, they used him all over the place to begin with in his first game. He, he was in the backfield for uh, three snaps. Yeah, I think he took a handoff too, right? Yeah, no, he took two. Hey, uh, he he took one as like a uh, wildcat quarterback, and then he took the other in like uh, basically an eye formation on a center. Right, that's what I was thinking of. And staying in the backfield, yeah. there, you know, the Jaguars actually have a lot of young young talent that I don't think is being properly rated across NFL media circles. What did you make of James Robinson's debut at running back? I thought Robinson's debut, I think anybody that uh, is kind of just browsing the box scores, I wouldn't blame them if they saw Robinson's numbers and didn't really give them second thought. But I think for anybody that was watching, he had a really solid game. You know what I mean? He was picking up yards after contact, and he was displaying good vision. And those are really the two big complaints with Leonard Fournette often. You know, it was that he would always go down on really first contact and it was that he just didn't look like an instinctive uh, natural runner and that was the kind of opposite of Robinson he seemed to always know where either where the hole was or where it would be uh, he seemed to know how to set up his blockers and he didn't go down easily that uh, that's great John look that pretty much does it for what we got for you tonight one final question before we let you go and we've really appreciated the insight uh, complete this sentence for me here uh, the Jaguars win this game if the Jaguars win this game if they're able to force Tannehill into at least two turnovers. That's uh, – it's hard to even say that's the biggest reason they beat the Colts. That might be the reason, you know, they beat the Colts. They're able to force the Colts into a couple uncharacteristic mistakes. And to upset the Titans, I think they're going to need to do the same. Though I do think it'll be hard to uh, intercept 
uh, Ryan Tannehill and it is to intercept Philip Rivers. <laughs> yeah, River, Rivers tends to be a little yeah. riskier with the ball. Especially at this age. Yeah, just, just a bit. <laughs> <laughs> but look, John, look, we uh, we really appreciate it. Yeah, man. Yeah, Sorry, like, go ahead. Yeah. No, no. I, I, I just wanted to say thank you guys. Uh, thank you guys again for having me on. Uh, I, I, I really appreciate it. Uh, I mean, you guys uh, really said this whole thing uh, have been great. And I'm, I'm looking forward to Sunday. Me too. Thank you, man. Likewise. All right. Thank you so much to John Shipley for joining us. Remember to check out si.com slash NFL slash Jaguars. Follow John on Twitter at underscore John underscore Shipley. Really appreciate his time and insight getting a closer look at the Jaguars team. Let's move on now to our next guest, or should I say pair of guests, from the Inside Pro Football Podcast. Please welcome into the show now, Bill Peterson and former Titans and Jaguars head coach, Mike Malarkey. Thank you so much for being here, guys. Coach, I got to ask you, how's retirement treating you? Obviously not the best year in the world, but... (laughs) Well, I'm I'm trying to figure out the difference between retirement and quarantine. Um, yeah, probably not the best time. You know, traveling was part of the, the plan for the retiring uh, portion, but uh, not so much right now. But uh, very fortunate that I have my uh, two sons, uh, Patrick and Shane. They live here in uh, the Jacksonville area within five miles of me. So their families, my three grandchildren are uh, over quite frequently. And I'm loving loving the family time, making up for a lot of lost time with all those uh, years in coaching uh, that I that I missed. So I'm no complaints. I'm very happy with my decision. People are, you know, they're asking me what what year you're going to go back. I'm not uh, very happy. Put my time in and uh, enjoying uh, my family and and uh, um, trying to play a little more golf and trying to fish and do a little more things that I just haven't been able to do over the years. There you go. And uh, I'm wondering if you can tell us a bit about your new venture here, the Inside Pro Football Podcast. Uh, sure. Yeah. Um, you know, quickly, it's something that 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 I've been wanting to do for a long time uh, to 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 find a platform to talk about sports and football and, and specifically uh, at a level that's a little bit deeper, maybe than what the average fan gets on television uh, or even social media. So really having expert opinions and expert opinions. And Mike and I live uh, nearby, and I would see him out on the beach. And every time I would see him with his wife out walking or riding bike, it would strike me that right there's your guy. You know, <laughs> first of all, uh, he played for the Steelers. I'm from Western Pennsylvania, so you know that's all good. He coached for the Steelers. That's even better. And he lives up the street. So uh, through a mutual friend, we uh, connected, and we both, I think, saw this the same way. That there's so much information out there for the fans that it's almost impossible for the major media networks to deliver. And so can we dig into some issues and bring them information? As we like to say, take them into the meeting rooms and into the war rooms and and let them see all the factors that are going into the decision-making. Yeah, that's what I'm enjoying is the – being able to share the behind the scenes that, uh, you know, the media has um, no way of getting in and finding out what goes on in a game planning uh, session for a coaching staff or a call sheet. How is a call sheet built? You see those things over coordinators, they were holding it over their mouth. What What is that sheet? What's on that sheet? How is it constructed? Um, Bill and I just, you know, we when we started this thing, um, 
you know, a few weeks back, we had a couple uh, cups of coffee and talking about what we wanted to do. And really, it's kind of just carried over our conversations very easy. It's just, we're just talking football. And it's really kept me involved with the game without the stress of, uh, you know, worrying about putting plans together, uh, challenges on Sunday that I have to make. And, uh, you know, much less stressful, much more fun. I can talk about officials now and hold them accountable, which I couldn't do as a head coach. And uh, it's, it's just been good because I think we're, we're, we are different. We're, we're talking about things that other people aren't talking about. And, uh, you know, Bill's got an exp- a lot of experience in, um, in his career in, in this business, and so do I, and in a lot of different roles. So uh, people are going to hear things that uh, they just, they're, they're not going to hear from, from others. And like both of you said, um, I, the timing is right, I think, for something like that, right? There's so much information out there. Um, but, but doing it from this perspective where you're really, you know, you could educate the listeners and educate the fans from, from really, as you said, inside the room. It's, uh, there's not really anything out there like it. Yeah, we, we, we have the advantage, I guess, uh, of being able to take our time. You know, I mean, we'll, we'll put together a list of questions and sort of a script. And if we get through it, great. And if we don't, that's fine, too. We just finished an episode on special teams that we didn't touch on 10% of what we were going to touch on. But the information that we covered in that session is unbelievable and no one else is talking about. So, you know, this platform gives us the ability to slow down and spend time, ask questions. It's uh, it's laid back uh, so we can question you know each other or or just talk, uh, share stories, and it's uh, it's it's really it's an interesting uh, media. It's an inter- interesting platform. I love it, and we're gonna make sure that our listeners know where to find the show. We'll uh, we'll make sure we drop um, all the plugs at the end of this episode here. Uh, I want to get into this weekend's game a little, uh, if possible, Coach. Um, you know, the Titans here are, are coming off a short week. Where they made the longest trip they'll make all season. You know, going to Denver, playing in that altitude uh, is not easy from what we gather. Uh, what are some of the challenges they'll face as they return home and get ready for a, a division rival Jacksonville on a short week? Well, uh, you said it. It, it, was, uh, it was an emotional game. I mean, that's that, that puts a lot of uh... – wear and tear on your mind and your body just alone on that. Uh, but being a short week, any any week that's short, Monday night games, Thursday night games, uh, very difficult uh, for teams, um, really more difficult for teams that have to travel. Uh, so they had a really late night. They played an emotional game. They got home early in the morning. So they lose a day. The coaches lose a day of planning. The players, I'm sure they had Tuesday off, if, if I know uh, the schedule that Coach Rabel has. Um, the coaches lose a day. I'm, I'm going to think that they had to do some planning in the once the schedule came out and they saw they had this Monday night game that they probably did some things in the in the uh, summer to pre- prepare for the Jaguars. So the, the nice part is the uh, NFL schedulers made it a common opponent, somebody they already know pretty well. They didn't make them have to prepare for a team that they haven't played against. So these, these two teams have played I mean, obviously in the same division. So they they did that. That helps the coaching staff in, um, in Tennessee. But one thing that they're going to lose is a, is a padded practice um, this week because I'm sure uh, Vrabel is not going to put these guys in pads on a short um, week getting prepared for the Jaguars. And, and that's to me, that's a loss in itself when you can't practice in pads. But uh, to be smart, the biggest thing that you have to worry about this week is recovery from that game. And um, I'm sure he's handling it right. They'll be ready to go when, when Sunday comes around, but it is not easy 
Uh, winning certainly helped matters. That definitely helps with the adrenaline and the psyche, but uh, it's not easy on a player's body or mind, or coaches for that matter. Yeah, no, I, I think you bring up a great point there too with it being a common opponent. Um, you know, as the game kicks off between these two rivals this weekend, they're both 1-0. Uh, they sit atop the division right now. Um, you've obviously coached both of these teams. Uh, what sort of goes through your mind when you watch them uh, go head-to-head? Well, the first thing I thought of when you said that, you know, was they're both in first place. They're tied for first uh, early in this season. Uh, so there's a lot at stake. You know, starting 2-0, uh, important, especially 2-0 in the division, and then beating a, a division uh, opponent is really important. But... Uh, this, this is an interesting series because if you look back at it um, from, I think, 2008 to 2016, the, the two teams split the wins and losses each year. It was like, I think it's nine or ten years in a row that, you know, nobody dominated this, this, uh, um, this rivalry. And this is a rivalry between the two teams. I mean, if there is one, I think this is one of them uh, in, within the division. Um, but not until 17 when I was a head coach there did we beat Jacksonville twice. So it was split for a long time, 10 years. I mean, that's a long time to split games. So it's very close. Uh, there's no love lost between the two teams. They, uh, they do not like each other. It's always a physical game, always physical, especially in the trenches where they will beat the tar out of each other, which is what I love. And uh, it'll, it'll be a fun game, but it's going to be physical. Uh, I, I'm going to think it's going to be somewhat close. Uh, but, uh, you know, if they run Derrick Henry. They got to stop Derrick Henry. That's, that'll be the big key in this game. Yeah, and you mentioned the Jags getting that 1-0 win as well. Really, all offseason, we heard about the Jags where they shed talent. They got rid of four great players who'd been key members of that defense. Kind of thought, or, like, there was a lot of talk. Are they, Is this team tanking for Trevor Lawrence? And then on the other side, the Colts were the hype team, adding Phillip Rivers is supposed to take them to the next level. But the Colts and Jags come out. We kind of have a shocking result. Even though the Colts were much more productive the Jaguars won the turnover battle, and then they won the game. Kind of saw something similar with the Titans on Monday night. It was a really sloppy game. How do you overcome four missed field goals while forcing a turnover in the opposing team's territory that leads to a touchdown? Definitely helps. I just wanted to get your take. Is it really as simple as winning the turnover battle sometimes? And sometimes I'd say it's that simple. Uh, you know, I, I, I would put a chart up uh, every week um, when I was a head coach to show the turnover ratio of uh, wins and losses. And it would start with, all right, there are, it's even, there are no turnovers. And the percentages are pr- pretty much like 50% win, got a chance to win or lose. But as that, if you lose one, the percentages in, in this chart that I had went 20 years and it, and it charted every game in the NFL every week for 20 years. And it was amazing the percentages, how consistent they were year after year after year. Um, the more you got and the more pers- the turnovers you got, more chances you had to win. And I would show this to this team just to kind of reinforce how big a factor this is in, in, uh, in wins and losses, uh, keeping the football really important, but that it's pretty consistent uh, over the years. We love that. Look, guys, that does it for our, our questions tonight. We've taken up enough of your time, uh, but this has been fun and, and we're excited for you guys. And we're going to, again, we're going to make sure our listeners know where to find the show. And we think there'll be more opportunities for us to do a couple of these crossover episodes uh, and really, um, you know, uh, grow the audience. So again, really appreciate you guys. Coach, appreciate your time. Uh, Bill, thanks uh, as, for everything as well. And uh, we look forward to the next episode. Okay. Thanks guys. We enjoyed yeah, thank it. You. Yeah, that was fun. Thanks. 
All right. We hope you enjoyed our guests today. That will do it and wrap up our show, the week two preview podcast, Justin and Justin show looking ahead the Tennessee Titans versus Jacksonville Jaguars again, Sunday at noon central. Be sure to go to broadwaysportsmedia.com. And don't forget, we are running a special right now. We have tons and tons of premium content up right now that breaks down things that happened in the Broncos game on Friday. When this podcast comes out, we're going to have In the Trenches and Scouting the Opponent. Two more articles looking ahead. Tons of articles looking back already. So be sure to go broadwaysportsmedia.com. Use the code KICKOFF30. That's kickoff, like a kickoff in football. 30, 30, like 30% off, which is the discount you get. If you apply that code at checkoff, you can use it for a monthly membership. You can use it for an annual membership, which is already discounted. So you can double up on your discount there. Sign up for an annual membership for just $70 a year with code kickoff30. All right, that'll do it again for MCA Broadway this week. You can follow us on Twitter. Find Justin at Justin M underscore NFL. I am at Titans Film Room. We're excited to get into this game. We'll be back next week to preview the week three game, the Minnesota Vikings. Hoping to have another special guest then, but just in case things go wrong, I will not reveal who it is yet. All right, this has been the Music City Audible presented by Broadway Sports Media. We'll be back next week. Until then, tighten up. A Broadway Sports Media Production.